Uh, hey, sleeping me listeners, season seven, episode six. Here we are, uh, beyond the wall. And how how better to open this episode than with a sweeping camera over the uh, map table? Formerly uh, Stannis's, uh, but it looks a little like a, I don't know. It looks pretty good in this uh, close up. It goes over the Vale of Aaron, or are you know? Then some white thing. I don't know if that was White Harbor. And then we see Castle Black. And then we see a fire in the fireplace. Uh, then we see Scoot's handwriting, which is on um, Marlin's certs. Uh, I don't know what that means. Marlin's certs. How many? Uh, I don't know. But they, they're walking up like a, the, 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 our northern crew, along with, as my brother called them, Bantha Father, Fodder. Not Bantha Father. Uh, like Bantha Fodder. F-O- I say Mutta Fada, Bantha Fada, which I didn't really get. I forgot what they called them. I don't know how many people listen to the official Lost podcast uh, with Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof, who are now. Uh, even hitting another pinnacle of polter careers. Uh, but they, if you ever want to like learn about it, like just to listen to the podcast and rewatch lost, uh, one of my favorite podcasts of all time, listening to the two of them, uh, uh, really like it. Like when you think about, uh, the left, I mean, holy moly. Yeah. But anyway, we got our, Oh, I was going to say, what did they used to call the people on lost uh, that would only make a brief appearance? Uh, I'll forget. Maybe I'll remember. But uh, we got everybody walking and talking in the north. Uh, first up, Gendry. Uh, hey, buddy, have you ever been cold before? You you are right. Uh, and Gendry's like, nah, I've never even seen snow. Uh, Tormin likes it there. He likes the air better. No stinky stuff, he says. Uh, and he goes, uh, how do you keep warm up here? And Tormund goes, walking, uh, you know, dancing. Uh, horizontal, vertical dancing and horizontal dancing. He says those are the best ways to uh, stay warm. Would you do, do? Would you like to dance? And Gendry says, "Well, no." He says, "Well, I make do with dance partners." Uh, this was uh, like Tormund was uh, like he was because we didn't have Sir Davos. They said, "All right, Tormund, we need you, as comic relief, buddy. We need you big." And at 520, he has his first killer. This one, maybe not so smart, he says about Gendry. Uh, first crushing line of uh, like hilarity. I did laugh out once about at the Hound, and I don't think it was a comedic moment. Uh, really loud. Uh, let's see, 520, this one maybe. And then Tormund Ass on the Dragon Queen. Uh, oh, this was a nice moment. It went from comic relief to uh, wisdom. He says, Mance Raider was brave, uh, proud. He didn't, he never bent the knee, just like you, Jon Snow. And uh, he goes, well, how many people, uh, like, got messed up because of his pride? Uh, it really was proud. I mean, it's an important, important moment. He says, you know where comic relief and truth teller, I'll handle that, I'll handle those duties uh, tonight. And thank goodness he did because we needed him right there. Uh, let's see, then, sorry, there's a lot of dialogue that's important here, so we'll get to it. Let me see, uh, lots of glaciers, uh, 
And then Gendry's kind of still not happy with the Brotherhood without banners, uh, who uh, uh, represented by Thoros Samir and Beric Dondarrion. How many times could, could ever can you say Dondarrion too much, even on a sleep podcast? I don't know if you can. But yeah, let's follow along with the dialogue here for a few minutes because Beric rolls uh, or he rolls up on, he goes to get away from Tormund, gets with the the Hound and the Brotherhood. And they say, what are you, still mad at us? He goes, yeah, you sold me to uh, a witch. And uh, Thoros is a priestess. Uh, subtle distinction. Uh, but I think, let me see what he actually says, because uh, it's a good line. Uh, and, uh, like, uh, Thoros is already getting loaded. A priestess. Uh, I'll admit, it's a subtle distinction. They say, Eric says, wars cost money. Uh, we need the money. And he, Gendry says, well, I wanted to be one of you. You know what you did? She, you know, she put, you know, she like, uh, stripped me. And the hound sounds, says, this sounds great, man. Uh, and then he has this great thing. He goes, can you quit your whinging? And hopefully we'll talk about whinging in the notes. Uh, but he, he goes, do you know what whinging means? Complaining. Well, your lips are moving. You're complaining. That's whinging. He goes, Beric's been through a lot. He goes, he doesn't complain. And the hound does this nice walk up, really like a, and there's a lot of uh, pulling corks and spitting. I may have just missed the first pulling cork and spitting moment. Uh, I think there's definitely three, yeah, but I'm not positive. And then John has moments with Jorah, says your dad's a good man, you deserved a better, th- you know, were you with him? Yeah, it was a rough situation, you know, at Craster's Keep. Uh, I wasn't even there, uh, but I felt bad for him. You know, we got it back. Uh, there's also the random dudes. So there's a random dude up front and random dudes in, in back with a sled. They talk about long claw, Jorah's sword. And this was a really nice moment. John tries to give it back to him. Uh, and Jorah's like, you know, he gave it to you. Uh and he goes, yeah, but you're his son. And Jorah goes, I brought shame uh, to my family. I broke my father's heart. Uh, uh, I forfeited the right to it. Uh, and then he does this mysterious moment. I, I mean, to me, it was mysterious. He goes, may it serve you well in your children after you. I put six question marks. I put after you three question marks. Then is this code? I just put code, C-O-D-E, uh, three question marks. And we get another, this moment wasn't quiet because there was music in the background, but it's another, like, moment uh, where John's reacting to that. Then he turns and looks after him, and then he kind of takes a deep breath. Uh, Really nice, like, another nice moment for us to kind of breathe with John and be like, what the heck? Uh, Then we're at Winterfell, and there's snow falling, there's music playing. And Arya's looking out, you know, on the second floor. This is where most of the good moments happen, I think, in Winterfell. All, like, uh, I don't know if they have a rule there. Okay, keep your contemplation on the second floor. I think instead of hit, don't hit your head, they say take your contemplation to the second floor. Like, it's a better view of snowfall. And if you want to do external contemplation, look out over this one rampart. If you want to do internal contemplation or contemplation about the past, you know, look inward. 
So Arya says, well, I'm looking inward right now. And Sansa says, well, I'm standing behind you uh, look, while you look in, inward. And Arya's got her mean streak going. She goes, yeah, remember when the boys were she, Oh, no, you were knitting. Uh, the boys used to do archery out here. And then she has a nice story. She goes, there's this one time uh, uh, Bran or Rickon left uh, the bow behind. So I got it and I started practicing. And she's really telling it slow in this, like, uh, like uh, she goes, there's one, one arrow, one target. Uh, I don't know how many times it took me to hit that thing, but I kept one. I did walk, uh, I think just like her single minded determination, this story kind of, if I could get it straight, it would, uh, you know, demonstrate that. But just the idea shooting this one arrow, going, getting it, coming back, shooting it again. Till she hit the bullseye, 20th time, maybe 50th, I don't remember. When I hit the bullseye, I heard a slow clap from Father. And I looked up, he's standing there, smiling. And he knew I was breaking the rules, but he knew the rules were wrong. That's why he was smiling. And she goes, I was doing what I meant to be doing, and uh, so I'm cool with it. But now he's out, Uh, he's a statue. And you were how you know you were in with the Lannisters, uh, so it goes from this contemplative moment to she turns the tables on Sansa, and Sansa's like, "What?" And she busts out that scroll where she says, "Hey, come kneel to Joff." Uh, like at first, Sansa's like, oh, "Great story." Oh, wait, you're like using this as a metaphor about me. And uh, then they have a lot of back and forth. Uh, you know, she, uh, Sansa, or Arya's like, you sold out dad. And Arya's like, or Sansa's like, you weren't there, man. Like, uh, you don't know, you can't speak for me. You don't know what I've been through. And I was just doing my best. Uh, it is strange that all, only Sansa and uh, Theon really feel like they get taken to full task uh, for their mistakes, uh, except for people that have permanent uh but say, you know, Ari's like, you gave up too, er- you know, too easy. And you just said everything so easy. And, and Sansa does try to assert herself. Uh, but Ari's not having it. And again, this is a really complex scene when you think about the writing of it and the acting and the directing. Similar to the scene with Sam, Sam and the Grand Maester. Because then it takes another turn, like a couple turns. And, uh, Arya says, I was there when Father became a statue. And Sansa's like, what? Uh, and Sansa's like, well, you didn't do anything either. And then Arya's like, well, I wonder what I should do with this scroll. Uh, maybe I should do, what should I do that's going to bug you the most? Because uh, uh, Sansa's like, you know, I bet, like, this is like after she asserts herself, uh, Arya reasserts her power, which is now the scroll. And then, like, oh, yeah, also they talk about the training and, and whatever, uh, what they've been through. And, like, I guess this does make sense because this it really is all about the family, uh, the soap operatic parts of it, uh, or the real emotional juice. And, I mean, Lannisters have had these kind of moments. This is a little more subtle. Uh, but Arya goes, well, I'll, I'll just have to decide, uh, uh, what I'm going to do with this scroll. And Sansa says, don't do anything about anger. And, and Arya basically says, well, if it's a choice between anger and fear, I'd go with anger. Uh, I don't know what that says. More high tea. Uh, 
but Ari storms off. Uh, oh, more hiking. That's what it says. The hound's tying up his boots. Uh, and truth teller, comedic relief, uh, Tormund rolls. And he goes, Are you, you're the one they call the dog. Uh, and the hound goes, F off, man. He goes, you, you're really mean. Were you born mean? Or do you just not like wildlings? And the hound goes, I don't care about wildlings. I hate gingers. And Tormund goes, gingers? He goes, we're the, we're the best, man. Uh, kissed by fire. Uh, beautiful. He goes, look at me. And uh, the, 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 he points at, he goes, oh, what happened with the fire? And uh, the hound goes, don't point at me. Tormund's just laughing. And he just he keeps asking, like, he really wants to be friends with the hound. Uh, he goes, is that what made you mean? And he goes, you're not really mean because you have sad eyes. And then the hound's like, what's, uh, and then they talk about the semantics of anatomy, which is hilarious, uh, and, uh, really good. And then Tormund goes, I'm going to marry this giant woman at Winterfell. She's a beauty. And we're going to have giant babies. He goes, I'd like to make babies, uh, and, uh. He goes, she almost as tall as you. And the hound's like, Brienne of Tarth? Uh, he goes, you got to be kidding me. He goes, that's your, uh, he goes, not yet. He goes, I'm, he goes, uh, but you should see how she looks at me. And the hound goes, like, she wants to eat your liver? He goes, oh, you do know her. He goes, we're going to have giant kids. It's going to be great. Uh, be the best time ever. Conquer the world. And the hound's like, you got to be kidding me, man. Uh, then... We have a big moment with John and Barrick. Uh, they talk about uh, uh, Ned. And this is a little backstory that I, I, I just love Barrick Dondarrion, so I already knew that they, you know, the, uh, Ned had sent Barrick out uh, to go get uh, the Hound's brother, the Mountain. Then they talk about Thoros, and they say, hey, we're both, we got, both got brought back. We serve the same Lord. John goes, no, I serve the North. Uh, and Barrick's kind of, I couldn't tell if he had snow blindness or he's just really amused, but he goes, they talk about, you know, this kind of not knowing why you're doing stuff, uh, spiritual, you know, is this spiritual, like John goes, I don't know. What's the point of calling it spirituality if you don't know what you're serving or why? Barrick goes, they think about that all the time, man. He goes, maybe we're not supposed to understand. He goes, but we're, I know we're, you know, we're, we're here for life, uh, so John goes, isn't that like evolution then? And Barrett goes, I don't, I don't want to talk about, let uh, Tormund and uh, Hound have the semantics. Because uh, I'm here for Vita, man. And John goes, YOLO, you mean? And, and Barrett goes, what's YOLO? Was it, he goes, that was like in 1914. He goes, maybe that's all we need, though. Uh, YOLO, maybe that's it. Uh, he goes, in like those less fortunate, YOLO for less fortunate people that can't YOLO themselves. Uh, and John goes, I am the shield that guards the realms of men. And Barrett goes, maybe that's all we need to understand. That was a Night's Watch thing, I think. Uh, and John agrees. He goes, I, that's, maybe that's enough. And there's, that was a really nice moment, um, in my opinion. Uh, let's see. Realms of Men. Then we see the uh, the mountain from uh, the Hound's vision, and he's like, "Yeah, we're getting close." The mountain like an arrowhead. And we have Tyrion looking at a fire. He's having wine with Danny. They're just talking about like bravery, 
And, uh, like she's, she's like, who's, you know, I'm glad you're not as brave as these brave people in my life. Uh, maybe John Snow's the bravest, maybe not, but he might be the bravest, huh? But she goes, he, he, he like Tyrion's like, okay. He goes, all the people you talk about, you were in a romantic relationship with, uh, except for Jon Snow. Is that like what you're trying to hint at? Uh, and she goes, Jon Snow, he would never like me. And Tyrion goes, come on, Khaleesi, give me a break. Uh, and she goes, well, he's too little for me anyway. And I said, well, oh, no. Uh, but then uh, she goes, oh, sorry, I didn't mean it like a, uh, uh, she goes, you're brave. I know you're brave. Uh, and then she goes, so I'm going to get to meet your sister uh, anyway, huh? And they kind of have this like or argument about uh, planning for the long, like, well, this, this one took a weird turn too. Uh, they go, yeah, we're going to go down there. We're going to have two armies and three dragons. Uh and they talk about, just what's Cersei going to have up her sleeve, you know? And then Tyrion tries again to be asking her to be the perfect leader or whatever, because he says, fear makes power brittle. Uh, and then they exchange perhaps, they say perhaps three times, perhaps, 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 back and forth. Uh, about, you know, who's like... Uh, like, whether she should be, she should be, she'd be a dragon or half dragon. Then she, Tyrion brings up secession, like who's going to take power after Khaleesi. And both me and the Khaleesi had the same reaction. Like, I was like, WTF, dude. Like, what? Uh, what the heck? What are you guys talking about babies all of a sudden for? Uh, you got you, you got freaking Jorah talking to John about it. And Khaleesi's not happy. She's not, she's tiring of uh, Tyrion's, uh, like, uh, I don't know. She, she, or maybe she's pushing him. And then we're back north. We get a nice shot through the rocks of our hikers. Uh, really a blizzard. There's a dude out on point. Uh, and he sees something. For a second, it looks exactly like an ad at walker. And then they're like, no, it's a bear. And then, uh, uh, what's the Gendry? He's like a bear with blue eyes, man. And to the point guy, he rides the bear far away, but the bear comes back and then, uh, they do flame on Thoros and, uh, Beric, uh, Sir Gregor freezes on that. Thoros saves Sir Gregor from a kiss from the bear. Uh, then, uh, Gregor freezes again. Then Jorah takes care of the bear. He says, I knew a bear once, uh, but hit the road, uh. And uh, what does that mean? Get him back. I don't know what that means. Uh, uh, then uh, there's a flash. Uh, then there's corkspit number one. Uh, that's Thoros Amir. Barrick spits out the cork and feeds uh, more booze into Thoros. He goes, you are right. Uh, and Thoros uh, says, I was kissed by a bear, man. And he goes, I, you did. And then the flight, when uh, there's cool sound effects when Thoros Mir, I mean, uh, Barrick uh, does his sword on and off. Uh, then there's bear tracks. Uh, then we're with Baelish and Sansa. And uh, Sansa's closing all the doors, uh, which was interesting. I said, what is she up to here? Uh, uh, she doesn't want a uh, thing. She's been, you know, I've been doing the best like, ruling I can. And Baelish goes, rule you have. Uh, because you really do rule. 
and our, she's always up in my business, and uh, she's, she's resourceful, worrying you, eh? And uh, Santa's like, I need to pace around. Uh, not everybody's going to, like, we got the winter, we got weather. She goes, these dudes are going to be looking for any excuse to bust out of here on me and John. And I don't even know where John's at. Uh, and Bailey, she goes, yeah, that's why I said you rule. Wisely, ably. He goes, they respect you. Maybe uh, they prefer you to John. Uh, and Sansa goes, no, no, these people are loyal. Uh, remember that? Uh, and Baelish goes, most of all family. He doesn't say that, but uh, she goes, remember, I've been married twice to, to a Lannister and a, uh, a Bolton and not Michael, you know, neither of the Michael Boltons. Uh, and Baelish is weird. He goes, well, he goes, family doesn't betray family, really. He goes, uh, and, and then he goes, Baelish, but then Baelish goes, well, are you sure? And she goes, I don't know. He goes, what about Brianna Tarth? Uh, maybe she could help. And I don't think it was till the second or the third time I watched this, until a couple things, I had a couple questions that came up that I'll raise later. Uh, I still thought it was a weird scene. I still don't figure, I still haven't figured out uh, what was happening with the Baelish, Brianna, Arya, and Sansa. Uh, but Sansa says, you know, geez, Bri or Baelish says, Brianna protect you no matter what. Uh, uh, then let's see. Uh, then when they're hiking up a hill, our hikers, Joris totally having a fanboy moment with Thoros. He goes, remember when you ran, ran through Pike? Uh, were you drunk? And Thoros goes, I was totaled, man. I don't remember anything. Uh. And I think this is cork pull number two, but I don't think Jorah does it with his mouth. Oh, he puts the cork back on. Uh, so cork pull one with the teeth, where they pull a cork out of a wineskin and spit it out. Uh, yeah, but uh, Jorah's like, man, I thought you were the best uh, ever. Even the uh, Pike people thought you were a god. He goes, nope, I was just too drunk. Uh, and then Tormund hears something. They find a small group of uh, of uh, White Walker assistants. And they're led by old Crystal Beard, who we all know, that I just named uh, when I was doing these notes. Uh, and they have a fire, which I don't know if that's on purpose. I couldn't tell. But Crystal Beard walks up to the fire, and it's a little ambush, uh, snowball fight time. And they say, we're going to, like, uh, we're taking one of your friends with us. Uh, so they try to catch uh, one of the one of the White Walker friends, uh, but he yells to his friends, uh, "You know, get to go to get the snow, abandon the get the snowballs, leave the snow fort, come down here. They don't have a snow fort down here." And then the thunder starts. The old snow mist comes. Uh, uh, there's rumbling. Somebody's like, "Jesus, it's not good." And they say, "Gendry, run back and tell Daenerys." Uh, you know, send a raven. And Thoros is like, leave your hammer here, man. You can run faster. And then they're about to run out on a lake. And uh, Jorah's like, stop, stop, stop. He's like, the lake is frozen. Uh, then all of the uh, White Walker crew, their entire snowball, they have like a snowball posse. They come chasing out. And so all the guys run out on the ice to this little stone island. Uh, 
which maybe like one or two, maybe it was where Bran saw the White Walkers like two episodes ago when he was on Snow Patrol. That was the last episode, actually. Uh, but then they're surrounded, uh, like everyone runs, and they're surrounded by snowballs, uh, and they're on a rock. But luckily, uh, they're too heavy for the lake, so they're like, well, we can't throw the snowballs across the lake. Uh, it's too far. We'll just wait. Uh, so there's this standoff. Then we see Gendry running. Uh, he's in great shape. He's even running uphill to music. It was like Rocky Four. But then he's out of breath. He sees the uh, wall. He's close. Yeah. Then we're back to the standoff. It's getting dark. You know, everybody's at dinner time. Everybody's supposed to go home for dinner. Uh, but it's like, okay, well, you guys, like, it's a snowball standoff. We've all been in these before. Uh, then Gendry gets close, but he's so tired, uh, he has to rest. And then the door opens, and Onion Knight and is there to cradle his, uh, his, uh, like, adopted son or whatever, and his crew. And he says, where is everybody? He goes, what, what, where? where? He goes, uh, send a raven, man. And Davos is totally, he goes, get the maester. Uh, then all the guys are sleeping, huddled up on a rock, uh, since they don't have a snow fort. Hound is sleeping on John. And he's awoken by the guy they, uh, they took uh, to take with them. Thoros has uh, permanently deflamed his sword. Uh, uh, and this was what I laughed at first. I thought the hound was tr- like it was... Uh, but he was being human. He goes, Jesus, that's one of the best ways to go, I heard. He goes, didn't every seventh grader have to read the, uh, To Build a Fire by Jack London? Or was that by Jack London? Anybody. No one answers the hound. Uh, then the hound spits out. That's cork spit number two, unless I miss one, which I may have. And John takes the wine. He says, I'm pouring this out for Thoros Amir. And uh, Tormund goes, we'll all be close behind him unless, uh, and then there's a flame on and uh, Beric says, Lord of Light, come to us. Uh, He goes, the night is dark and full of snoozes when it's on sleep with me. And then Jorah pulls John aside. He says, geez, we're going to freeze out here, man, or the water's going to freeze. And then we're going to get pelted with snowballs. Uh, He goes, what about those white walkers up there? Couldn't you mess with them? I don't know if this was like exposition or what. John kept saying no. Like, I think because they had to get the capture, captured dude, like the Harry Housen uh, back uh, with Danny, like the Khaleesi. But then, because then Barrett comes up, he goes, Yeah, what? He goes, Hey, what about those dudes up there? Uh, and John goes, No, it won't work. Uh, he goes, Daenerys is coming. Uh, no, there is. Oh, yeah. Beric says no. There is another way. We just turn the Night King. Uh, so I don't know if this was like offering up what's going to happen in the sixth season, or uh, also or like a little of a tease. Like uh, I didn't quite get it. Uh, but it was nice to see all these three like right on the screen. They're covered in snow. They're cold. Uh, Beric even points up at the Night King. He goes, that's the number one bad guy. I could tell, like, because uh, he's got a crown made of icicles. So John says, you don't understand. 
Barry goes, he goes, we're not here to freeze our butts off. He goes, why do you think we're here? And uh, Hound says, this is it for you, Barrick. Uh, this is your last roll of the dice. And Barrick goes, this, uh, I don't care, man. That's I'm down for that. Uh, and uh, the Hound says, well, I'll, you know, I don't think that would be fair for any Lord of Light or whoever uh, bring us out here and cold us. And then uh, John's just staring at the Night King. Uh, and Sansa gets a note from Maester, which is a note from Cersei to come to King's Landing. And then she sends Brienne in her place. I put question, sends Brienne, double question mark, WTF, no double question mark. Uh, uh, Sansa's like, we're supposed, somebody's supposed to go to King's Landing. I'm not going. I have work to do. And Brienne's like, it's not safe. And she goes, yeah, that's why I'm sending you. And she goes, no, here with Littlefinger. How do you know he's not speaking with everyone behind your back? I'll leave Fodrick. Uh, he's become competent. And Sansa pushes back. She goes, I don't need to be watched over. Uh, and then Brianna tries to say, she goes, the trip is long, uh, uh, so you better be on your way, uh, Miss Tarth or whatever. And I guess, and then there's uh, 45 minutes about Sansa has this thoughtful look on her face. And then I said to myself, uh, the second time through, I said, is this uh, like Arya? But I, I don't know. Like, uh, or is this Arya's influence? Uh, or is uh, there another faceless person around? Uh, it seems like the only person I could set this, if this isn't Arya and Sansa working together, or Arya working independent of Sansa, like we're going to need Jacken to come in and like uh, set Arya straight. Yeah, but yeah, 45 minutes is a good moment with Sansa thinking, which leaves, uh, it shows meaning, it shows like uh, some meaning that we don't know, we don't know yet, uh, to me. And we see three simple sleeping dragons, Tyrion's like on Danny's case, don't go, D doing nothing is the hardest thing to do, just stay here. And she goes, you are, she goes, I'm a dragon, bro, like I'm not doing nothing again. She goes, you know what dragons do? Dragons fly, and they fly off. Uh, and there's a last second, I mean, some great dragon shots, really unbelievable effects. I mean, that it's pretty much real. And then we see, like, a shit, like, at the end, like, you see, like, an outline of Tyrion on the cliff, really tiny. And we see a hand on the edge, uh, looking at the crowd. Oh, no, hound, the hound is on edge. Uh, he throws a rock, like snowball into the crowd, and this is how all snowball fights start. He goes, he calls the person on the other side S T U P I D, and then he throws another one, and then the person on the other side says, "Who's D U M B now?" Uh, because they see the lake isn't frozen, and then this they they say that the, the dude says these snow boots are made for walking and sword dragging, and that's just what I'm going to do. And so then Barrick flames on. Uh, also notice that probably a scene was cut from this because Jorah and Tormund uh, have dragon glass, which wasn't explained. But it, so I assume it was either just left that we'd figure it out, uh, or that this, there was a scene cut that like said, "Well, those figure it out." Uh, or you know, the Hound uses a hammer for a while, then switches to dragon glass. Uh, for the snowball preparation, of course. Uh, at some point, jo Jorah saves John from getting hit hit with a snowball, 
And you know, these like white walkers, they have real, they're ice balls. So, so that's the thing. And they even try to get their friend back because it's kind of like capture the flag. Uh, like, uh, like, like, cause they have like one person dressed in a Halloween outfit, uh, like a costume. Uh, so it's like kind of like an unfreeze tag. Like they're kind of, instead of capture the flag, it's unfreeze tag. And then John says, fall back. And I was like, dude, fall back where? And he goes to this dramatic cliff-like thing here where I can look even cooler. Uh, Tormund gets himself into real trouble because he gets his pants wet. And uh, that's the worst idea. And the hound, but the hound saves him. He says, dude, I got, he goes, hey, believe it or not, I have an extra pair of wool pants. Uh, so here you go. And then the time kind of slows down. John's frozen for a moment, like looking out. Uh, like at all the, like there's snow, 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 non-friends. There's some slow motion, snow falling. And then Drogon's in the house and the other two dragons. Uh, and like, we can melt your snowballs, uh, with, uh, and they also melt the ice on the lake. Uh, and then Khaleesi and Drogon land. They load everybody up on the dragon. But then another Frostbeard, Crystalbeard, I think, uh, or Snowbeard, I don't know which one. Those are the cousins that work with for the Night King. He javelin, you know, he has this jav, ice javelin, and uh, like it, it has like uh, some melatonin on it. So one of the dragons falls asleep, uh, uh, which everyone kind of leave, they say this is the worst time to fall asleep because uh, you're going to hit with snowballs. Uh, and even the Khaleesi's in shock. Jor's watching the Khaleesi. And John, like, gives him some time to take off and show off. He, like, I mean, he kind of shows off just by being himself. He grimaces. Uh, we get to see that dragon, like, the dragon can even create wind with its wings. Uh, and Khaleesi looks back at John, uh, who uh, also gets his pants wet, but he doesn't have, like, he, well, he does get a spare, spare set of pants eventually. And then the Night King's like, we're all done here. Uh, let's get ready to go. And that's when he sees John uh, looking for a pair of pants. Uh, obviously cold, obviously tired. Everyone turns and they say, uh, ah, the kid's got wet pants. Uh, he's going to be iced and stiff. Uh, and they say it's perfect to hit him with more snowballs. And then uh, uh, Cousin Benjamin or Uncle Benjamin shows up. He's got, he doesn't have spare pants. He's got spare horse. He says, take my horse and go get some dry pants on, dude. And John goes, no, 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 I don't want you to get hit. And he goes, go, oh, no time. And he sends him off. Uh, and we see the port side of the East Watch. We see the East Watch by the sea part. Uh, and the hound's carrying a bag of stuff. Uh, he nods at Tormund. And Barrett goes, we'll meet again, Clegane. And uh, that guy's got a great voice. And the hound says, I hope not. And we see Drogon, I believe it's Drogon, circling above the wall. Uh, yelling. Uh, Khaleesi's out on the lookout. She's, you know, not happy, waiting for John. And Jorah says, it's time to go, my queen. Uh, and she goes, just a bit longer. Uh, then I do another, like, Drogon shot, I think, or something. I think I put dragon. Then there's horn. Like, she goes, okay. And then the horns come. And we see uh, John on the horseback. Khaleesi turns back. Oh, no. Yeah, something like that. Uh, 
And Jorah can't believe it, but I don't think he's jealous anymore. Lone figure on a horse. Uh, Khaleesi breathes. Uh, then we see their ship. The sails go down on the ship. Uh, John gets his freezing clothes taken off of him by Onion Knight and somebody else. And we see that like a shirtless snow. I don't know when the last time we saw a shirtless snow was, but he's got some smooth skin, some scars. And, uh, I mean, he's got abs. I mean, what else could you say? Uh, and then we see Arya. She sneaks into Sansa's room. And the whole dagger mystery, that's another part of this. Hopefully it'll be resolved at the next episode, but I don't know if it will. It's out and laying there and waiting. And she finds Arya's faceless satchel with the faces in there. And then Arya creeps up and uh, starts acting super weird. And uh, like uh, really confused. She goes, what are you going through my stuff? And uh, Sansa goes, yeah, exactly what I'm doing. Uh, what the heck are these uh, masks? It's not a holiday. Uh, but Arya's like kind of standing with her hands behind the back, like uh, ice cold, like uh, kind of like almost like Baelish. She goes, yeah, there's, we're, we're just the two of us now, Sansa. And Sansa goes, uh, well, I don't understand what's up. Uh, if it's not Halloween, are you trick-or-treating? And she goes, uh, I'm a faceless person, Sansa. And, and Sansa goes, I don't know what that means. And Ari says, Larry changes the subject. She says, like, uh, she says, let's play a game. I want to see if I can tell if you're lying. I don't know. It was kind of obtuse. I didn't understand uh, what she was trying to do here. She goes, you say, I'm going to ask you a question. You try to lie to me or fool me. Uh, which one? You know, if I, like, uh, let's play a game. And Sansa says, I don't want to play a game. Like, is Baelish a faceless person? I, like, I don't get it. Uh, Sansa goes, whose faces are they? Or he says, oh, you're going to ask? Uh, she goes, well, uh, okay, uh, whose faces are they? So I guess she's lying here? I don't know. Uh, because she goes, oh, we always wanted to be different people. She goes, you wanted to be a queen. I wanted to be a knight. Uh uh, that sounds like the truth. Uh, she goes, I just want to be just like father. And she goes, neither of us got to be that person. huh? The world doesn't let girls decide what they're going to be. She goes, but I can choose now. With the faces I can choose, I can become someone else. Uh, so is that a hint that she will you know, speak in their voice? You know, live in, you know, put on their dresses, the whole thing. And then she passes this whole mystery thing to, she hands it, uh, handle first to Sansa. Uh, and they said, what in the heck? Like, uh, is it, did Arya not just get, like, she liked to cry to kid, like, or, you know, when they leave before they have enough training? Like, uh, Luke Skywalker, not a full, you know, like, you can't get that Jedi training unless you finish it. And there's even the Bravosi music, which was cool, you know, really made it uh, from the House of the Black and White. Uh, then John wakes at sea to see the Khaleesi. Uh, that was a rhyme that wrote itself. Uh, he goes, she's, I'm sorry about the dra dragon. She shakes her head. He goes, uh, I wish we never went. And he takes her hand. And she goes, I, I, I w like, she goes, no, I had to see, I had to see that. Uh, but she says, the dragons are my children, the only children I'll ever have. Uh, 
Do you understand? And I said, no, I don't understand what all this children talk is about. And I still don't quite understand. Like, I need this. I need to be spoon fed here. Yeah, but I have a podcast, so I can't look 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 this stuff up because it'll ruin the podcast. Uh, uh, but I remember whatever Aegon or whatever Rygar that uh, Sam's Bay Gilly was reading about, but I still don't. I don't get it. Uh, but wait, in the High Tower, or whatever. I don't know. Uh, Khaleesi says we will destroy the Night King together. And John says, if I could get out of this bed, I'd bend my knee, man. He goes, you bet your sweet bottom dollar I would. And Khaleesi goes, great, this is getting, she actually says, this is a little bit too emotionally intense. Go to sleep, this is awkward. And she bails, like, uh, she goes, this is an emotional peak. We can't, uh, gotta get out of here. So very professional, actually, for you as a, like, uh, is a she she was I liked that and then uh, we see that uh, old Frostbeard the the dragon that was asleep they talked that dragon into saying hey wh- what do you want those two uh, like kind of like uh, Arya and Sansa they say Drogon thinks it Drogon's hot stuff uh, you could be a frost dragon uh, with us and then the dragon says well and they say you can have blue eyes instead of red eyes and the dragon says well I guess so. And we all know that's so the the Night King likes that, so we know not to like it, and that's how the episode ends. All right, so we really have a lot to cover this week in facts. Let's start with Thoros Amir. Uh, we covered this a few seasons back, but uh, Red Priest of the Lord of Light, noted warrior, uh, fought in the Greyjoy Rebellion, born in the free city of Mir in Essos, uh, his father gave him up to, to the local temple, the Lord of Light. That's how he became a red priest. So he's gluttonous and lustful. And uh, he, then he was tasked uh, to turn uh, Robert Baratheon away from the Seven and convert him to the Lord of Light. And he was part of the court. And uh, like he was actually partied with King Robert. I guess I didn't know this. Uh, and he was famous for using a sword coated with wildfire. And then he fought with Baratheon in the Greyjoy Rebellion. Uh, Jorah was behind him when during the Siege of Pike. Uh, and I think it's all we really need to know about him, like his backstory. He's just cool. I mean, that's what we know. And then just as I check in, uh, Beric Dondarrion, uh, he was the Lord of Blackhaven, head of House Dondarrion. You know, sent out to get Gregor Clegane in the Riverlands. Uh, and then he like, brought all these deserters together as a Brotherhood Without Banners. Or, yeah, Brotherhood Without Banners. Uh, he was a vassal house to the House Baratheon. And he enjoyed being a knight, taking part in tournaments. Uh, and he was just visiting King's Landing when, like, uh, like he said, when... Uh, so he must have learned the uh, flaming sword thing from uh, Thoros. Now, Winge, uh, we kind of know it means to complain. What was interesting is if you look it up in the Google Dictionary, its usage kind of took off in uh, somewhere between 1950 and 2010. I, I can't get any closer, uh, uh, but uh, it looks like around 1970, 1980, it, it like, literally exploded its usage. Uh, 
It looks like it's a, a Germanic or, 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 or worm word. Uh, act of complaining is the noun whinge. Uh, the verb whinge, uh, complain persistently in a peevish or irritating way. And just a lovely sounding word, whinge. Uh, and then, like, uh, they spent a lot of time on seeming glaciers. Uh, and they found this unbelievable article by Bethan Davies from uh, 2014 on AntarcticaGlaciers.org. And uh, it's really great stuff. Uh, common misperceptions about glaciers. Nothing lives on glaciers. These are misperceptions. Uh, they may appear uh, lifeless, but they're biological hotspots. Uh, they're dusty, and the dust is rich with uh, microbial, you know, with biomes. Uh, uh, so that's one thing. Glaciers are white. We know that from this episode. Not true. Uh, they can be white, blue, gray, green, dirty. Uh, glacier ice is often blue, uh, but it could be tinted by algae uh, or uh, rocks may fall on the surface, making it appear black or dark brown. Uh, glaciers that are neither advancing nor receding are stationary. And like uh, a glacier may be, the snout of the glacier may be stationary, but the ice isn't. Uh, The top of the glacier is not getting thicker. Uh, The bottom of the glacier is not disappearing. There's a transfer of mass from the top to the bottom. Or it could have been, you know, something, I don't know. Retreating glaciers flow backwards. a glacier is a pile of ice and will always flow downwards during gravity. If more ice melts at the snout, it replenished by snowfall. The glacier may recede, but it's still flowing downwards. They say don't just avoid the word retreat. Uh, icebergs, ice shelves, sea ice, and sea level rise. There's often confusion about all these icy features. Uh, icebergs are a bit of a glacier that's fallen off, uh, called calving. Uh, most of the, uh, oblate loss of ice is, uh, by iceberg calving. Icebergs are made of fresh water and make, uh, great ice cubes, by the way. Uh, but icebergs are already floating. So when they melt, they don't uh, create a sea level rise. However, if tidewater glacier starts to calve more icebergs, uh, uh, from the ground to, to the ocean, that will cause sea level rise. Uh, uh, glaciers are so it's worth it if you if you ever had any gla- you know glaciation glacial you know there's a lot more good uh, misconceptions in there. There's also an article about dirty ice uh, included. Uh, how about pointing? This is from uh, Slate.com. Uh, Point of etiquette by Troy Patterson. Uh, the gentleman scholar at Slate, is it appropriate to point at people? I was brought up to believe, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Troy says, it tickles me that a Yahoo uh, uh, would have something, is it polite to point? Uh, he says, it is not polite to point. For confirmation, uh, just look at any reference book on language. Uh, the rule dates the primitive days when pointing was considered to administer bad luck. Uh, and was conspicuous uh, to risk attracting the attention of a stranger who might give you the old uh, old eye. 
uh, nonverbal stigmatization. So don't point, I guess. Uh, that's why, like Disney, they do they point with their whole hand or whatever, their elbow or something. The workers. Another thing they really found, like this, the sound is just so good in in not just the the sound effects, but the dialogue. There's an awesome interview with uh, Game of Thrones sound editor uh, from 2615 by Jacob Hall, and it's a, a interview with Tim Kimmel, the sound editor. And it covers uh, how sound is created, the te- like all the people that have to, like all the different types of sound, you know, all the work that goes into it, uh, like in action sequences, this is older, so like a hard home, wind machines, crowds, uh, you know, usually they have an excellent group of onset mixers who focus on getting clean, well-recorded dialogue. But, I mean, that dialogue, like, sounded so good. Uh, but sometimes they will record it, and uh, it's called ADR, Automated Dialogue Replacements. If you ever want to know about some of the work, just check out that article. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, then there was, like, the the uh, Arrowhead uh, mountain. It made me, I never have been to the big island, Hawaii. But I know Diamond Head is there, which is a volcanic tuff cone on the Hawaiian island. Oh, it's on Oahu. Is that the big island? I don't know. And uh, because the shape of a, a ridgeline represents the shape of a tuna's dorsal fin. It's a, it's part of the system of cones, vents, and uh, stuff uh, known as a Honolulu Volcanic Series. And I think it's like a good place to surf, like in the view of Diamond Head. Uh, it's a def- yeah, defining feature of the view known to residents and tourists of Waikiki. I read this great book, Barbarian Days, about surfing. It's a surf memoir. Uh, really, really a rich travel memoir in addition to surfing. I don't surf, but wonderful if you like travel writing, you know, mixed with kind of like a, a memoir about, uh, you know, life. Uh, Really, uh, William Finnegan, who was an editor at the New Yorker, wrote it. I read it last year, but uh, I don't know. I don't think he surfed at Diamond Waikiki, but maybe occasionally. I'm trying to remember now. But yeah, great, great, great book. Um, you know, another thing that came up was like ruthlessness, both this episode and the last one. That wonderful word ruthless came up. You know, there's a movie that I don't think I've seen called Ruthless People. Uh, with two of my favorite people in it, Danny DeVito and Bette Midler. So I want to see what Roger Ebert said about that. Uh, and in 1986, uh, he wrote, It's hard to play a lovable be- villain, and Danny DeVito does it so easily. His eyes narrow, his voice deepens, and he speaks with earnest and sincerity about his selfish schemes and vile de- designs. Uh, Ruthless People opens with uh, Danny DeVito, uh, Up to No Good. And even up to less good, I'm just, I don't want to spoil it. Uh, uh, Danny DeVito is the mainspring of Ruthless People, an engine of intensity, like uh, he's the engine of intensity. His passion is so palpable, it adds weight to all the other performances in the movie. And uh, it's a pleasure to watch his face uh, as everything starts to go, like, sounds a bit like um movie with the dude, uh, uh, Big Lebowski a little bit. Also has Judge Ryan, you know, Bette Midler, Judge Reinhold, Helen Slater. How did I miss this movie? Uh, so, uh, 
Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Bill Pullman. Uh, but DeVito really carries the movie. So uh, uh, that's another movie to check out. Uh, the Ruthless People from the 80s. And that's it. Thanks uh, for listening. Well, that's it for the facts. Uh, okay, okay, Padman. Are you ready? I'm ready, Tommen. Okay, it's your turn. Then go. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and friends beyond the binary, it's time to introduce, inter- interrupt your regularly scheduled programming here on K Pounce Radio for the Solutions Show. Uh, paid pro, not paid programming, but similar, but, uh, uh, K Pounce Radio, the radio best friends and boys and cats everywhere. Best friendship in K Pounce Radio, they go together. Okay, thanks, Gene. Uh, oh, no, Gene, you're Gene, right? So bounce. Yes, I'm here with Gene. Thanks, thanks, guy. Uh, the announcer. My, I'm uh, Berlinghofer, uh, Rasmussen Berlinghofer, a famous uh, time traveling scientist. And I'm here with the Solutions Show, with everyday solutions, to, solutions to your everyday problems. And I'm here with my best friend and the greatest uh, pitchman in this side of anywhere, uh, Gene. Gene, say hello. Rain, rain. Yes, if it rains, we solved that weeks ago, right, Gene? All rain was solved. And Gene, today we're on the tr- trail of something the opposite of rain, actually. You're brilliant, Gene. How did you think of that, Sapounce? Hey, no. Oh, you just, you improved it. Oh, boy. Because we're working on something that's the opposite of rain. And it's something some of the people may deny. And maybe they deny because they're forgetful. Or maybe because of, uh, you know, the, like the, under the spell, someone like my mother. Uh, but anyway, it is the sun, old Solus, we used to call him back in the day. And uh, you, you know, you, you know, the sun's rays uh, on fair skin or any skin is not good. They, they say it all the time. I've been to the future. I'm Rasmussen Berlinghofer, and I had to deal. You know, you know, you know, in space, you still need sunscreen. Believe it or not, uh, depending on where in space you are. And when I run into uh, Jean-Luc Picard for, for thrusting me, but you know, leaving me in time, you know, he he he's he's like the opposite of um, Marty McFly's friend, uh, whatever. The, uh, I'm off topic, but I'm not happy with that Picard. But I, anyway, I recovered, and now I'm here in your time, solving your problems with everyday solutions, or so everyday. So, so it, it, exciting solutions to everyday problems. Podman came up with the title of the show. And, oh, boy, you go in that sun. Now, there's a couple options, and, and uh, I have to deal with this because I deal with the Podman and Ray, who wear sunscreen. And you have to, if you put on sunscreen with the Podman, you have to listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about, but he still talks about what is benzene, ba-ba, Oh, you know, microfiche or something. And, and even though he puts, he still slathers it on his skin because there's no better option. Or you use a spray, which it smells like a gin and tonic. And the Podman doesn't like spray because he says it smells like gin and tonic. I can't take it. And he says, get that away from me. And then he hates being in the car with sprayed sunscreen. And so there's another option gone, and then there's other things, you know, where you look shiny, 
And then we all say, you, we look like a bunch of datas. And, and that was fun, actually. We put on a lot of sunscreen. And we stood in the mirror and we pretended we were data from, from Star Trek. Oh, but I'm Rasmussen Berlinghofer. I'm not happy with data. But it was fun. But anyway, if you go outside anywhere else, then the, the people that are jerks say, oh, look at a bunch of datas. Uh, what is it? Uh, Christmas in July. You know, they say things like that to the Podman, mostly. Ray, he just says, oh, well, thank you so much. Uh, but anyway, so those are your best options. Now, I guess Podman, of course, when he's talking nonstop uh, on his soapbox, he says it's not like this in Europe where they have respect for people. And I don't know if that's true or not, because where I came from is very much like Europe. <laughs> And you know how it worked out for me. I had to become Mikey. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Blue face, I don't know if I'd give If you're a blue-faced man, you probably still need sunscreen. Oh, boy. His face isn't blue anymore, though. Okay, yes, I'm trying to focus. So, your solutions, though, are limited and in, 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 in not that great. But that's where Professor Berlinghoff comes in with your solutions. Now, what if I could offer you a cure for sun, the sun, your sun troubles uh, that was natural, organic, uh, good for your skin, it feels good, has no strange products, so you know nothing for the podman to complain about. Uh, goes on easy. It not only that; it's the first uh, Paleolithic sunscreen. Now, I hear people say Paleo. This is actually Paleolithic sunscreen. It may, may, may. We can't confirm this, but it may have been used on the TV show Survivor, and it harkens back to a simpler time. When you were a child, your inner child's going to love this. It's going to smell good. And not only that, because of the, because the Podman says that 2017 is the year self-care in every interview he does, and he giggles like a, like he's a quotable quotes. Uh, it, like uh, you, not only can you use this for your sunscreen, but you can use it for relaxation, for contemplation. It says, it'll make more sense when I tell you, because I'm talking about our newest product here at Cape Outs Industries, Sun Mud. Now, Sun Mud does all the things your sunscreen does, but better. And it does it without any of the side effects that you might think from sunscreen, like stinking or being shiny or just, you know, general, like uh, the Podman says, there's microfiche or something. That's right. You'll get your chance to cover yourself in mud, and we we have sun. We'll also be offering like uh, future products like sun mud dry, like you where you could mix your own or sun mud clay. And this isn't just something that I'm putting together in the backyard with the help of our exercise team, because I'm not doing anything. This is a special chosen earthen materials uh, selected. Uh, what do they call it? Curated, curated dirt. Uh, I will tell you, put together the finest grains of of all things, uh, sand and dirt and all things. It's also microwaved because I thought I, I would try that, and I said, "Well, now it's microwaved." 
and this is a natural product, so we're not beholden to anything, uh, but it has been microwaved, so no questions about the dirt being dirty. And you might object and say, well, I'm not going to walk around with mud all over me. But I would say, well, you know, then that's your choice. Don't get paleolithic. Spend your life with a cream on yourself, uh, looking shiny. And who knows uh, where you could be returning to the caveman days. And also having fun. Like I said, when you put your hand in there and you stir it around, it feels good. Even when you're not putting sun mud on, you can make a little mud pies. You could just hold it in your fingertips in the jar. It's very, you know, this will replace your fidget spinner, your sunscreen, your your your, your psychotherapist probably. The podman said I can't say that, but it could. It could. Your your in your your ninety nine cent downloadable games. Oh, you won't need any of those things. Breathing. You won't need to breathe when your hands in mud. You won't need Tinder. When you're covered in mud, you won't have any dating problems ever again. So, that Podman, I like that. You wrote that yourself. Uh, he's an expert on that situation, so he would know. So, you know, Gene, what do you think about this sun mud? How much would you pay, Gene? A hundred dollars? Would that be fair to charge for sun mud? Meow. Two hundred dollars, Gene. Would you do two hundred? Meow. Uh, Gene, should, could we sell it for 300 please? That sounds like a pretty good deal, Gene. Eh, okay, so 300 Oh, wait, the, the, the control booth's calling me. One second. Uh, no, we can't possibly sell Sunmud for that price. That would be giving it away. No, I, can't, I have to refuse. Uh, it'll be 300 Okay, we'll do $150. Uh, how's that sound? Oh, no, the control room's telling me no. Okay, how about $99 for Sunmud? It's going. It's going to. It's revolutionary. Join the sun mud revolution. That's what I was going to say. Okay. How about forty nine dollars? Epic control room. No, they're still saying no. They're saying for mathematical simplicity, all our products need to be priced the same. And I'm selling them. And this is madness. Nineteen dollars, Gene. What do you think about nineteen dollars for one, one jar of sun mud? Meow. meow. Holy cow's right, Gene, because the control room's telling me it's not for one jar of sun mud. It's also a canister of sun mud dry, which can make up to five more jars of sun mud. Holy moly. And a jar of uh, sun mud clay. Also, shipping is by the pound, by the way. We charge by the pound, so just don't be surprised. Control room's telling me that, too. But before shipping and handling charges, also before shipping and handling charges, you're getting, what is that, $1,000? Gene, what do you think about that? Wow. Yeah, $1,000 or so of value for just nineteen ninety nine. I I don't even know what to say about this. This is mind-blowing. You could get paleo. You could be part of the revolution. And you can, oh, it's just today only. When you're hearing this, whatever day you're hearing this, today only, 1995 plus shipping and handling charges, which may or may not reflect the true, true cost of shipping and handling. Uh, one thing of sun mud, which will replace your sunscreen and many other things and change it, really. You're going to be so happy. And then on top of that, you get sun mud clay and sun mud dry. So I don't know. It seems like a no-brainer to me.
but, you know, and I'm only a professor of Berlinghofer Rasmussen. Your son problems are solved, I believe. Uh, and that's all we could do. Uh, 1995, get a hold of, uh, however you get a hold of us, I don't even, but, but uh, the deal, these, it won't last long. It's about, so we're going to need to dig another hole. I think. Anyway, thank you, uh, everybody. And uh, let me return you to regular schedule programming uh, for Professor Rasmussen Bellinghofer routes. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends beyond the binary, now return you to regularly scheduled programs from Cape Outs Radio, the radio boys and best friends that are cats everywhere. Crone, uh, sweet, sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, Hound Dog, God, if you're, if you're listening. Uh, it's me, uh, praying in. I don't think I've said that this season, but that's what I'm doing. Prayer, praying up, praying in, praying around, like praying across. And I'm trying, you know, I'm praying. I guess you're not supposed to pray. Okay, God, crone, sweet, sweet crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, Hound Dog, God. Here's a question. I know you're not supposed to pray for yourself. One, mostly because it doesn't work. Uh, two, I think as a child I was taught that if you do do that, then you get worse in the opposite, like double or triple, which seemed to hold up true for me. Uh, three, if you, I also learned if you spend any time alone, quality to alone time with yourself, then you can't pray for yourself for anything. So that, like, so, but so... What's my, like, uh, oh, but what if I'm praying? So this season, though, I'm praying in for myself to be better for other people. So, and I've been trying to see myself as a third person, you know, in the third person to, to help myself more. Because I'd like to be a better listener, probably for the benefits, uh, maiden, you know, possibly like listening, leading to kisses of the maiden. I don't know if you're listening, maiden, uh. But I'm not listening, you know, to, 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 uh, I'm too busy to, you know, riding my heart, you know, riding my 10 speed only has two speeds right now, uh, flat and tire. Anyway, may, may I get back to the, the gods I pray to across. Sorry, don't smote me. Well, unless you're, I mean, if that's the kind of thing you, I mean, it could be smoted, but it, like, uh, we'd have to change it up every once in a while. But so, gods, that's what I'm praying for is to be a better person for other people. I guess for myself, I guess it's a selfish selflessness. Uh, I don't think it's selfish or selfless at all, gods. It's just, I'm, I'm sick of banging my head. You know, you know how it goes. So this week I'm supposed to be praying up for, uh, affection, gods. But I also have another issue that's distracting me. Like, I don't know why. So maybe this could tie into it. Why, why can't I call the dentist to make a dentist appointment? Crone, sweet, sweet crone. You probably already know. The longer I wait, the, they say, well, it's, it's not a toothache. It's more of a tooth. Uh, it's more of a tooth uncomfortable. It's not an ache. It's not actually aching. It's just, bu- you know, kind of bugging me. So I don't really need to go to the dentist. What do you think that that is, Gads? And how does affection have to do with that? But Crone, sweet, sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, all of all the Gads I have affection for. Sweet, sweet Crone, I've got it for you. And sometimes it's misguided. But I know your wisdom. You see the past. You see the future. You know it's going to, you know, you see all the parts that are going to go wrong. Crone, help me to have affection anyway and say, well, 
you know, what, in what situation could a backpatch and a smile be? Is that what affection is? Like sniffing, I always think of it as an animal sniffing your hand or a pat, a pat on the head. Affect, that's affection. It's, uh, and mostly associate Crone with heartache. You know, affection and heartache could go hand in hand for me because affection and being friends seems to be tied to like, uh, and I'm also uncomfortable, you know, so I say, well, it's like, uh, I prefer, you know, to keep humans at a distance. So can you help me with that kind of stuff, Crone? Help me be more affectionate, uh, uh, to the unknown when I'm listening. Like, I'm not talking about actual affection. I think you know that, Crone, because, uh, uh, that would be, I mean, let's take baby steps, right? I don't need, I mean, what do I like? Uh, I don't need to be doing free hugs because I don't know, like, uh, that's a stranger. I don't know if you can have, you can probably have, I don't know. Can I have affection for a stranger? And affection starts at home. So maybe I should have affection for this tooth and call the dentist. Uh, you're right, Crone. How wise Miller, uh, grinder grains, uh, a big wheel keeps on turning, Miller. I, I'm, I'm trying to have affection in the form of listening, in the form of other people, in the form of service to others, with ulterior motives. So, I mean, Miller, you know, you're up there grinding. I'm sure you have alternative motives. Uh, you got to get that grain ground because uh, it's not going to grind itself. Is, is that an alternative motive? Ulterior. Sorry, Miller. My, you know, my head, you know, I have, st- I have a stone ground brain, as, among other things, as you know. So, Miller, as you, uh, do you have affection for the weed, or is it mostly just like, uh, like, uh, you must? You're not the farmer, though. Who, what, when did the farmer in the, uh, was the, was the, uh, Westerosi people more of a foraging people? I mean, maybe for season eight, we should get that together, gods, and get a farmer god going. Green jeans god, god of the green jeans. There you go. I may start praying to that next week, uh, green jeans god. But don't, you know, don't count on it because, like, uh, I'm I'm right in the middle. Sorry, Miller. I was just wondering, you know, who you got your good grain stuff from. I mean, maybe you're a dual, you may, are you a dual, let's just say you're the green jeans guy anyway, Miller. I'll give you all the credits, uh, cause I was saying if you're threshing, is that affectionate? Can you thresh the wheat and be affectionate? I guess you have to be if you do it all the time. And I mean, I'm sure you have affection for that water that keeps the mill wheel going, and like, uh, I don't know, do you grease your, do you grease your gears? Uh, like, I'm sure you do. I mean, I grind mine. I prefer to grind them and uh, grinding my molar or something here. Cause I don't like, uh, I'm not exactly afraid to call the dentist. I'm confused. Uh, I have, I think I have a physical incapable. I did call once when I knew they were closed and it left a message, but I don't answer my phone. So I don't, and I, I, uh, they don't always check my voicemail. So I don't know if, I don't think they called me back for an appointment, but I'm not sure. And that was a month and a half ago. So if you could help me, like, a, you know, maybe, uh, no grinding, though. My teeth, like, I don't need it. I don't need any grinding in my teeth. Thanks, Miller. 
But yeah, grind down my will, grind down my resistance to have an affection for other people. And just in the friendly affection at a distance and say, okay, I can listen. I, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. See, I can do it and actually I can feel it, but that's when it's imaginary. And I can do it for the podcast listeners because, uh, like, they're great. But, it, like, when it comes to my regular life, not that the right people in my regular life aren't great, but, uh, I think it's like, do you, do you know what a radio is, Miller? Uh, I mean, you could use one. I've given, I've given stuff like that to Barky, but Barky just leaves it in the rain. Anyway, Miller, just grinding down my resistance. Help me think like the Miller does. to say, geez, even when you got to thresh that wheat, you still got to have affection for it. And you're right, Miller. If I can be nice and affectionate to the listeners and vulnerable... I should be able to do it like uh, there really is no difference just in my mind. You're right, Miller. Great. Smith, uh, pounder of iron and steel, uh, you know, allergy or metal, metallurgy. Maybe you do that. I don't know. You're an alchemist to me, even if you're not, because, you know, like a forger, a bellower. Do you bellow or is it a bellows? Is that is that one of those noun verb things, too? Are you pumping your bellows? Uh, so pump my bellows and fill me up with some uh, hot air so I can blow some hot air of goodness, so not fake hot air, real hot air, just like your bellows, so I can feed the the fire of affection. And other people, not, I'm not joking. This one's not uh, I mean, it would be great if I could, you know, get that fire going with the maiden too, Smith, but... Uh, and remember, I'm the one that said you were better than the warrior and the father and the mother and all, you know, the, the warriors, not, and, you know, warrior thumbs down in my mind. And that's right. I'm not, you go ahead, warrior, come on down. Or, you know, don't, you don't need to, but you could, you like, see, like, uh, sorry, I'm so, actually, come on down. I'll have affection for you, warrior. I, I will have affection for you, uh. Because yeah, I could I could say, hey, come on down, uh, tell me more. Oh, warrior, regale me with your tales of your good hair and your good times. Oh, kiss your bicep. How wow, that must be hard kissing that bicep, warrior. Holy moly, you're telling me you rode a horse all the way, and you used three different kinds of pomade in that hair. Holy mackerel. $50 is, man, it, it's worth every penny, Warrior. And at some point, maybe if we practice that, I might start to mean it. Like, I probably will, because I could have, like, a Heimlich syndrome or whatever it's called, where I say, well, now I like you. Now we're really, and I probably would, because I'd say, wow, uh, hanging with the Warrior, I probably would sell out all my old guys. So so anyway, thanks, uh, thanks, Smith. Help me, uh. Yeah, I could have affection. Thanks with you bellowing, with you fusing my bellows or whatever. There's nothing that can't stop me. Thank you. Barky, oh, oldest of the old gods, uh, with your branches bearing all, all things, help me have affection for listening, Barky. And Barky, help me with my brain. That's my main problem with the listening is I got to listen with my heart and my ears and my, like, uh, but not my brain, because my brain doesn't listen. It, 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 it yammers and it moves and it worries, Barkey. 
So maybe I could just be like you, like a tree. You're right, Barky. Just be like a tree. Be like Barky. Holy cow. That was too easy, Barks. Also, when my brain gets involved, then I think about dancing Groot. What do you think about dancing? Like, like then, oh, I could dance like Groot. Uh, is that affectionate? Oh, like, uh, picture the dancing Groot and everyone. Thank you, Barky. That's so brilliant. And, oh, Jester, smoothest of the gods. Uh, you've got affection down on so many different levels, Jester. Help me emulate your the way you're comfortable with your body and within the world. And help me to just navigate the world like you do with uh, an acceptance. That's kind of an affection. You have an affection for the world, for touch, for movement, uh, for grace, uh, for, you know, all things. Help me say, hey, like, uh, life's not just tripping over stuff. You're right, Jester. Help me, like... Uh, Bathe in existence. So wise, Jester. Oh, so help me with that, and then maybe I'll be better at listening. You say, hold on, I'm bathing, I'm bathing in your words. Holy moly. Uh, tell me all about that, Jester. So, yeah, Jester, thank you. Uh, wow, gods, we got a lot done. Hound dog, uh, god, uh, you don't like, uh, yeah, help me, like, be solid in my. Rejection of non-affection. You're right. And I have affection for you, Hound Dog God, so I could just say, hey, even a grouch, uh, like maybe I could hug you and Sinrone Wharf at the same time. So, Crone, sweet, sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, thank you for helping me with affection, gods. Thank you for all those things, old and new gods. Uh, thanks and good nights.